So we resumed our series in Paul's letter to uh, the church in Rome last Sunday. We were looking at verses 1 and 2. And we could really say that we're looking at the benefits package of salvation. Anyone who has been justified by faith alone in Christ alone is blessed in Christ with many blessings that are that are reason for rejoicing. So bound up with our being made right with God, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, imputed righteousness, Paul says we all need to know that we have blessings like this. We are at peace with God. All of his wrath has been taken in his son for everyone who is his. We are at peace with God. Not only that, we can rejoice because we stand in the grace of God. We don't only come into uh, the Christian life through grace, but we are sustained in our Christian life by grace. It will be God's grace that leads us safe home. And not only that, but we can rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that is to come. We have the hope that there is coming a day when we see Christ, we will be like Christ and we will reign with Christ forevermore in a world where there is no sin, no suffering, no death. And I suspect that last week we could all all given a hearty amen to all the things that Paul said we should rejoice in. Well, this week we're going to continue in our rejoicing. But verse 3 opens with those words, not only that, that is to say there is more reason to rejoice for there are more blessings in Christ. And then he adds these words, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Here's the surprising development. We can rejoice in the wonderful realities of peace with God, standing in the grace of God, hope in the glory of God. But can we rejoice in our suffering? And in many ways, when you, when you read chapter 5 and you get to this verse, it, it, it does come a little bit out of the blue. Like we've just been thinking about these wonderful realities. Why now suffering? Remember, Paul was this wise pastor, this seasoned evangelist. And one of the things we've seen in previous chapters is he was always anticipating his reader's reaction. And it's no different here. There would be some who have just read about these wonderful realities that we have in Christ who would be thinking, wait a minute, Paul, are you saying that when you are justified by faith alone, that you then live a trouble-free life? The Christian life's a bed of roses? And there would be others who have seen, Paul, I've been living the Christian life for many years, and my experience has been that of suffering. So, so what of these wonderful realities? Here's Paul anticipating all of these reactions, having enumerated on these wonderful blessings of peace, grace, and glory. And Paul says, listen, I'm no ivory tower theologian. I know that if you're going to rejoice in peace, grace, and glory, you also need to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Having these wonderful realities does not contradict what Paul is now going to say regarding suffering. In fact, Paul wants us to learn that God, by divine design, 
uses suffering so that we might appreciate the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ and by divine design uses suffering to bring even greater blessing into our lives. Now, I am very conscious as a pastor of this church that there are those of you who right now are suffering. There are those of you who are going through troubled times, challenging circumstances. I'm mindful of the fact that this call, this invitation to rejoice in suffering might feel so insensitive. Just so we can be clear, Paul is not saying take pleasure in your pain. It's not a masochist. Paul is not saying here rejoice for your sufferings. Things that some of you are going through fill in the blank are not things that we should ever give praise for. Some of these things are evil. Some of these things God will eradicate at the end. Cancer. Death. Paul is not saying rejoice for your sufferings. He's saying rejoice in our sufferings. And and, and if I can just fill that out a little more, he's saying Rejoice in the midst of our suffering. And so tonight, I actually don't have like three points for us. I just want to answer one simple question. How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of our suffering? How is it possible to rejoice in the midst of our suffering? And so we're going to just track with Paul's logic. And let me say this, right? It is so important that we learn to rejoice with what he said in verses 1 and 2. We need to grasp the gospel. We need to grasp that because we have been justified by faith alone and Christ alone, because of grace alone, to the glory of God alone, we have peace with God. The punishment and the penalty that is due to our sin has been paid for in full. We are at peace. There is no more punishment for you or my sin who are in Christ Jesus. We need to rejoice in that. We need to rejoice in the reality that we stand in grace today, in the here and now, tomorrow, and the next day, and the next week, and the next month, and the next year. God has given you grace for every single day, for every single trial, for every single circumstance. And you need to rejoice in that. And you need to rejoice as well. We need to rejoice. I need to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God to come. There is coming a day when he will right every wrong, where he will end all suffering, where he will wipe every tear-stained eye, And the reason I labor the point is because when you're rejoicing these wonderful realities, you understand they're not just for the good days, they're not even just for the bad days, they're for every day. 
Why can you and I rejoice in the midst of our suffering is because we grasp the reality of the blessings that we have in Christ. They are worthy of joy. Now, that's just one part. Verses 1 and 2 are inextricably linked to what is going to come now in verses 3 through 5. And that's why verse 3 opens with those words. And not only that, Not only are those the things that we can rejoice in, but there's more that we can rejoice in. And that's where he goes on to say, we can rejoice in our suffering. I think one problem that plagues us as the people of God, and it's that we've got often a poor understanding of the gospel and an impoverished theology of suffering. Any reader of the New Testament knows that suffering is all over the place. It was Jesus who said, in this life you will face tribulations. It was the Apostle Paul who said to new converts in his first missionary journey in Acts chapter 14, we must go through many hardships to end the kingdom of God. Paul even said in Philippians For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. It was Peter who we read at the start of the service in chapter 1 who spoke about the fact that we face trials and sufferings of many kinds. And then in chapter 4 he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. It's James who says, Count it all joy, my brothers and my sisters, when you go through trials of vaccines, for you know that it's for the testing of your faith so that steadfastness may be produced. And when that's fully complete, that you may be perfect and complete in Christ. In other words, the New Testament has this rich theology that says this, Suffering has a purpose. And because suffering has a purpose in the economy of God, you and I ought to rejoice. Now let's just be really honest with ourselves for a moment. What's your default response when you suffer? Is it to rejoice? What's my default response when I suffer? Well, if I can be honest, I complain. I grumble. I moan. Unfortunately, that's not all. In my head, I have this internal conversation and I, when I'm going through tough times, I say, why me? How come? What have I done to deserve this? Sometimes I just sit and I try and hypothesize, why might God have allowed this suffering into my life? I start imagining, maybe it's because I've sinned. Maybe it's because of something I'm not doing. And then if I'm really honest, when I suffer... I revert to type, and type is to be British, and to be British is to be quintessentially stoic, and to be quintessentially stoic is just to say, put on a brave face, toughen up, 
Pretend everything's all right. When you know the reality, everything is far from being all right. Inside, there's inner turmoil, there's pain. And you know, the staggering thing is, that's my default response to suffering. But that's not the response that Paul says ought to characterize the Christian who's been justified by faith in Christ Jesus. Now, why is it I respond like that? Well, let me be honest. It's because I've got such a poor grasp of the gospel and such an impoverished theology of suffering. How could I ever say, God, you must be punishing me when suffering comes? Why me? When I know that I'm at peace with God. He can't be punishing me because the wrath of God has been borne out on the Son of God. Now, he can be chastening me and disciplining me, but I know from Hebrews that's because he loves me. Not because he hates me or dislikes me. And so I've got such a poor grasp of who God is and why God does what he does. Why is it that when I suffer, I I, I, I just start through all these thoughts? But why has God brought this suffering into my life when I could literally go with instant, immediate access into the presence of God, knowing that I stand in his grace, knowing that I stand in his favor and his love? Why is it that when I suffer, I play out in my mind the worst possible outcomes when I have this blessing of the hope of the glory of God? I know my future, but in the moment of suffering, I just seem to forget my future. Well, tonight, Paul, in this little section, he wants to reorientate us to the truth of who God is and to the reality of the gospel and to the reality of our theology of suffering so that we can rejoice. Look at what he says. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering knowing. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know something. If you want to know the secret, If you want to know the key to how it is possible to rejoice in the midst of your suffering, the key is in that little word, no. Knowing makes a huge world of a difference. And what you and I need to know is that suffering, Paul is going to go on and say, has glorious purpose in the hand of a good God. Can I ask you this question? Do you know that? Do you know that God has good purposes in our suffering? If you if you get familiar with the theology of Paul, you read through a letter like Romans, you're always bumping into that word no. You don't need to turn to these verses, but let me just give you a flavor. Chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Chapter 6, verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In chapter 6, verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Chapter 6, verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of whom you obey? Chapter 7, verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers... Chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. Chapter 8, verse 22. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And it's not just Paul that has this emphasis on knowing. Back to James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Do you see it? Knowing God's purposes makes a huge difference. Pastorally speaking, the reason that some of us don't respond in the midst of our suffering with rejoicing is because we're more shaped and informed by how we think and how we feel than what we know. So I'm going through a tough time or I'm going to find myself in a challenging circumstance. I go through a roller coaster of emotions. I get worried, I get anxious, I feel guilty, I feel worthless, I feel unloved. What do I think? Well, my mind races and it thinks about all the worst possible outcomes. My mind is, I'm an expert at writing the best fantasy novels when I'm suffering. I, I, I imagine the worst possible outcome nearly every time. My world falls apart. And you know what my problem is? I'm so slow. Tell myself, Andy, what is it you know? What is it you know from God's word regarding your suffering? Well, what do I know? I know that suffering has a purpose. Let's just look at the purpose that Paul says here in verse 3. It has, look, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Produces perseverance. This, this word here literally means to abide under or to stay under pressure. So, so, so what suffering does is it gives us this ability to patiently endure. Suffering produces in a person steadiness. One commentator says, those who undergo trouble are toughened up, as it were, so that they can endure and withstand pressure but but that's not all that he says he says the purpose of suffering that we can rejoice in is known that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character now this word character has it with the idea of not just any kind of character it's tested character it's character that's been found to be trustworthy and true interestingly when you go through suffering trials challenging circumstances if you want to know your true character that's where often it is revealed because what suffering does, what the, the, the fire being turned up, the temperature being turned up, is it, is it reveals who we truly are. And then we see that our character produces hope. That's interesting he would say that because he just said back in verse 2 that we have the hope of the glory of God. And now he comes full circle and says, listen, suffering produces in us perseverance or endurance, and endurance produces in us character, and character produces in us hope. 
Now here's the reality. Every new Christian has hope. All of us have hope. All of us have the hope of the resurrection. All of us have that hope. But our experience of that hope can often just be theoretical and shallow. And one of the things that um, suffering does is it really reveals whether your hope is firmly and securely in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope comes alive in the midst of suffering. You know, hope is one of the greatest blessings that comes with the, with our package of benefits and salvation. It's fascinating. Suffering does not diminish our hope. It enlarges our hope. So, so, so many times, right, the most hopeful people I've ever met, the most hopeful Christians I've ever met, haven't been those who are at the beginning of the Christian life, but those who are at the end of the Christian life. In COVID, Tim Keller did a series of videos on suffering with pancreatic cancer. And there's a video he's asked, what advice would you give to your younger self or to younger ministers? You know, hope, what, what, what advice he gave? The resurrection changes everything. It gives us an unshakable hope. We know where we're going. We know that all that we do in the name of the Lord is not in vain. We have this hope. Our suffering, this is, in the, this is where I mean that suffering, not only does it bring into focus our blessings, but suffering even brings us into new blessings. It shapes us and forms us and makes us more like Jesus, and it gives us such a rich and deep appreciation of our hope. Now, just consider for a moment, right? What if you're someone who functionally is not resting in justification by faith alone in Christ alone? Just for a moment, let's talk to our other selves, the other part of us that often can rest in justification by my works. My standing is based on how I live. You know when you live like that functionally, you feel deeply insecure before God. Because see, when you do suffer, you think functionally that the reason you're suffering is because you've not been living up to God's standard and you know you haven't been living up to God's standard. And so suffering can often shatter your confidence in the love of God. And instead of you running to God to stand in his grace, you run from God. Instead of you hoping in God, you've been hoping in yourself and you find that it's empty and it's putting you to shame. But then, what if you are someone who lives by the conviction that you are justified with God, not based on the basis of your works, but on the basis of Christ's works? Well, at your deepest level, you need not be insecure because you're secure because it's all on the basis of Christ and what he has done. And so when you suffer, you know it cannot be I'm suffering because he's punishing me because he's taken my punishment. I cannot be suffering because I don't have the resources to go through this because he tells me that I stand in his grace. I've got all the resources I need to go through this. And maybe I'm suffering because he wants to give me that deeper appreciation of the hope of the glory of God. You know what Paul goes on to say, how it is possible for us to rejoice in in the midst of our sufferings is because, see the hope that we have? 
It is a hope that he says there that does not put us to shame. It is a hope that cannot, will not disappoint. And the question is, why is it that our hope will not disappoint us? Why is it our hope will never put us to shame? Because the ground of our hope is the steadfast love of God. Look at what he goes on and says, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love. What about God's love? It has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now just footnote, heads up for the future. This is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. He has been given to us. Here's what's amazing about the package of benefits that come with justification. One of the benefits and the blessings that Christ, that we have in our union with Christ, that were given because of Christ's salvation, accomplished on our behalf, is the Holy Spirit. And he's been given to us. He's been put in us. And one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit within us is to shed abroad in our hearts the love of God. So that subjectively, from the moment of our conversion and throughout our Christian life, we can know that we are loved by God. Subjectively. The Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Same, same truth, same reality. That we are sons of the Father, daughters of the Father. That we are loved by God. Now I know that in the Christian life, there, 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 there are many people who will say, the reason I don't believe in a God of love is because of suffering. But here's the paradox of Christianity. Ask the Christians who have suffered the most. What is it you believe about God? Read the testimonies of Christians who lived through World War II and concentration camps. Read the testimonies of endless Christians throughout the history of the church and you'll discover that they bear witness to the love of God. Last night on Facebook... Uh, Donald McLeod's son, John, did a post. He said this in it. This has been a week in many respects of pain. But there have been some very special moments as we wait upon my father on his last mile. The on-hospice carers arrived the other night when an old friend, a minister, was praying by his bedside. They would not hear of moving in till the clergyman was done. And they were visibly moved. When they did go in, one lass whipped out her phone, hit YouTube and played the hymn, O love that will not let me go. To her astonishment, daddy mouthed along every word. (laughs) And pain and suffering... The reality subjectively for the believer is that we can often in our moments of deep suffering is to come experientially to the love of God. Now, now let me be, let me be honest. That happened with every single believer. 
we know from our confession that assurance, confidence in the overwhelming love of God isn't a sense that every single believer subjectively knows. But just so all of us can have such confidence in the love of God in the midst of our sufferings that we might be able to rejoice, what Paul will go on and argue in verses 4 through 8 is our subjective experience of the love of God in our hearts is based on the objective fact that Christ died for us. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died. Verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How subjectively can you, in many ways, be assured of the amazing love of God that either you feel little or you feel a lot? Well, you can be assured by looking outside of yourself into the glorious fact of history. Christ died. He demonstrated his love for you in the ultimate act of self-sacrifice. And it is that objective fact that can give us confidence. That can give us the ability to rejoice in the midst of our suffering. I don't know what everyone is going through right now. And I don't know what all of us will go through in the future. And I suspect, like me, that when you suffer, your default response is to have lots of feelings arise, lots of thoughts race through your mind. Pastorally, can I, can I say that one of the things you and I need to learn is to remember what we know. And what we know is this. We're loved. So loved. Because Christ died. And what we need to know is the blessing of salvation is that he's given us his spirit to pour out in our hearts the love of God. And what you need to know is that you're known by the God who knows you better than yourself and in all of the suffering, he's got a divine design and it's to make you more like Jesus. A good God We'll never waste our suffering. But he'll redeem it and he'll use it to refine us and to make us more like his son. And so you know what that should do for you and I? Increase our hope. Deepen our joy. And make us rejoice in the love of God. Let's pray. we confess that we are so quick to forget how loved we are of you how blessed we are in your son the wonderful realities that now define our standing and our status before you we want to thank you for pastor paul who penned these words 
so that we as your people could be prepared for the worst moments of our life and so that we as your people, even in the best moments of our life, could learn how we can grow and grasp the gospel better. God, it it humbles us to think that you use suffering to accomplish your good purposes. And where we see that most clearly and evidently is in the cross. And so we come and we rejoice in the cross. We pray that you would help us to learn how in the midst of our suffering that we can and that we ought to rejoice. God, we thank you that some of the moments where we feel most loved is when we're singing your praises or we're reading your word or we're studying your scriptures. We pray that tonight that this service might be for all of us a moment where we can leave here knowing that we have the smile of God upon us and that by your Holy Spirit, the, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. Oh, that heaven would come down even now and that we would be so awestruck by the wonder of our salvation, how it is given to us to equip us and fit us to live our lives before your face in all circumstances. Help us glory then in our salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.